Welcome to PSA Today, number 11. This is Seth Goldstein. I'm here with Kalia Young, Identity Woman. It is Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. Hello, Kalia. How are you? Hey, Seth. I'm great today. Good. Good, good. It's July. It's July. It so and there's two important things about this day. I don't know which one's more important. One is Canada Day. Yay, go Canada. Yay, go Canada. <laughs> and two is the first day that the California Consumer um, CCPA um, Privacy Protection Act, whatever, I can't even remember what the acronym's for, um, that goes into force today. So this is the first day that companies can get uh, dinged, as it were, for failing to comply and giving folks the ability to opt out of having their data sold. So we're going to end up being like GDPR was with a new little pop-up window for everybody with a California-based IP address asking them about their, their willingness to have their data sold. I'm sorry, I was just distracted because I'm I'm signing up for my, my Andrew Yang data dividend. The Andrew Yang data dividend. It's the data dividend project. My data, my money. My data, my money. Wow. Let's make it official. By signing below, you agree to appoint AMEC Inc. here and after DDP, which stands for data dividend project, to represent you as your authorized agent or data proxy to build the movement and negotiate collectively on your behalf, we will need some time to act as your authorized agent. So while you can revoke any time, we hope that you decide to keep DDP as your authorized agent at least until July 1st, 2021. Type, click here to view the entire legal agreement. Type your full name here to e-sign. Okay, I'm typing my name. Draw your signature to make it extra official. Okay, draw my signature. And I'm checking to get some updates. I accept. Uh, claim your accounts. The more emails you enter, the better. We may be able to match you with more tech companies that may have used your data. As usual, please check those individual emails for a verification code. Okay, oh my god! Claim my email. So you're going to give them all of your emails? I'm giving them an email. I have a, my my Seth Goldstein at Gmail is yeah is, yeah it's a lot out there. Welcome to the movement. Um, celebrate. Read below. When will I hear from you? We plan to give you our first status update August 31st. Uh, spread the movement, my data, my money. Uh, here's the manifesto. Is that really their slogan? My data, my money? Uh-oh. Because the my data folks in Finland might have something to say about that. The data dividend project is here to serve you. The DDP, it sounds like the the GD, what is it? The, the German, the GD, uh, what was the East German? GD, I'm falling. I'm, I'm, my 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 history is is, is failing me. Okay, the GDR, German Democratic Republic. Yes. Yeah. Um. Okay. Let me. I'm going to continue here. The turn off my notifications. The DDP was born out of the belief, core to Andrew Yang's 2020 presidential campaign, that every American ought to be a shareholder and the richest country in the uh, shareholder of the richest country in the history of the world. The belief that every American is entitled to share in the gains of the large tech companies that profit off the use of their data. 
DDP is here to help you reclaim your data rights and recoup the gains that are rightfully yours. The DDP is here to fight for humanity and for what you are rightfully entitled to, your data as your property rights and the ability to control its use. DDP is an organization designed to educate and mobilize consumers to collectively exercise their legal data rights. We will always choose dialogue and negotiation before antagonism and litigation. DDP is not a political organization. It is a human movement to bring data rights back to the people. It seeks to recover the money that was made off of your data and to give it back to you, plain and simple. We will propose what is fair to our community, and members have the right to opt out of deals or decide to remain in. You may quit DDP or opt out of deals at any time, but we hope that you stay. We believe that the more the movement grows, the greater the dividends and benefits will be. And there's 10, sort of 10 commandments here. One, we believe that ownership and control of your data is a fundamental human right. Okay. We believe that your data then, now, and always has value. Okay. The okay is me. That's what I'm just saying. Okay. Okay. We believe in dialogue and negotiation over antagonism and litigation. I'm not so sure about that. This is very exciting. I actually, I'm super excited about it because I- No comments yet. Hold on. Okay. Comments after. Okay. Plain vanilla. This is all real time. I'm just reading. I'm seeing it for the first time. Number four, we will continue to fight for you until every human has their data rights. It's getting a little mushy. Uh, Five, we believe that data is not a political issue, but a human issue. Okay. Six, we believe in educating the world about how data can be used for societal good and how it has and can be used for the opposite end. Seven, we believe that corporations should be able to use your data, but you should fully understand how they're using it. Number eight, we believe that corporations should compensate you for the money they've made from your data in the past and should compensate you for the future for the data you will produce. Nine, we believe that data and technology should serve humanity, not the other way around. And 10, we believe that data needs to be as secure as your money. Okay, that's the manifesto. Data needs to be as secure as your money. Mm-hmm. The Data Dividend Project is a movement dedicated to taking back control of our personal data. Our data is our property, and if we allow companies to use it, we should get paid for it. The DDP is the brainchild of former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Its primary objective is to establish and enforce data property rights under laws such as CCPA, which went into effect in January 2020. What are companies doing with my data? Every day, people are generating data simply by going about the business of living in an ever-connected and digital world. Unbeknownst to most people, technology companies are tracking their every move online, extracting this data, and then buying and selling it for big money. The sale and resale of consumer data is called data brokering, which is itself a $200 billion industry. For example, technology companies can extract location data from your mobile phone, and sell it to advertisers who can then turn around and post local ads to you in real time. Until recently, the data collector, in this case the data, the technology company, was deemed to own the data. As the owner, the technology company could sell that data and profit handsomely. Meanwhile, you generated the data, but received no share of those profits. DDP plans to change that. Why hasn't anyone done this before? Until this year, you as an American consumer had little recourse against technology companies who were profiting off your data without your consent or knowledge. Now, under CCPA, Californians 
are endowed with a collection of unalienable data rights, the right to know what information is being collected on you, the right to delete that information, and the right to opt out from technology companies collecting your data. These rights, however, are ignored and abused by technology companies. And unfortunately, individual consumers don't have the leverage to be able to go up against these companies. That's where DDP comes in. What does it do for me? DDP is building a movement of Americans. Anytime they say we're building a movement, I get worried. Um, Mm. But DDP is building a movement of Americans who are fed up with technology companies taking advantage of them and who have collectively decided to take a stand. By signing up with DDP, you give us the ability to collectively advocate for your data rights and your right to be compensated for the use of your data, which is your property. With a critical mass of Californians and eventually all Americans demanding their fair share, technology companies will no longer be able to get away with hoarding the gains made off your data. Individually, we're powerless to stand up to big technology companies. Together, however, we can regain what is rightfully ours. Join the movement. Okay, I've signed up. Now what? We're on it. You've officially designated DDP as your authorized agent, which means we're now able to represent you to the tech companies. We will enter negotiations with tech companies on your behalf to exercise your data rights and hopefully get you paid. Hopefully get you paid. Mm -hmm. You should expect to hear from us sometime in August. We'll reach out with a progress update and fill you in on what happens next. In the meantime, check out our blog to learn more about the concept of data as property and similar data rights legislation that may be in the works in your state. Okay. What do we think? It's in, it's interesting that it's starting. I think it's exciting in terms of making something you could do concrete, but I don't agree that data is property and anchoring data rights and property rights may be a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I think, hmm. How, I mean, it, it comes down to how much can you pay people? What can they expect? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's painting a pretty broad brush of, um, technology companies on the one hand and sort of a movement of California citizens on the other. I I like that Andrew Yang is taking advantage of the momentum he had in the, in the primaries. Um, and he has a megaphone and he has a platform and this is consistent with everything he said, you know, the devil's in the details. And, um, you know, I thought, I've actually thought a lot about this in terms of creating a a data pension plan for people um, with the idea of being able to offer this kind of universal basic income based on people's data. In fact, before I started, before we incorporated as as Data Fiduciary Inc., which is the legal name for Spartacus, we were calling a data bank. Mm. The thesis was, if you remember, and that's when we kind of re-engaged a year and a half ago or a year ago, was around this idea of um, enabling people to essentially forward sell future access to their email transaction stream. And what I mean by that um, was imagine um, being able to almost enter into a promissory agreement and giving a third party on the blockchain that was sort of somewhat neutral and and um, verifiable in a trustless way, promising access to your Gmail inbox, right? 
so that somebody can go through it, or this entity could go through it and scrape out all of the transaction details about what you buy um, and being able to promise that for the next 20 years in exchange for a long-term dividend. So if I agree to do that over 20 years and I give unfettered access to my inbox and potentially my browser you know, clickstream, um, that that information on me and maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of other people, kind of a heterogeneous data set, mm-hmm. could be used um, by um, hedge funds and other investors to predict economic outcomes. Right. And so I'm sort of selling a, a kind of a, a future data bond on myself. Mm. But when I thought that through, I was like, well, my data right now is not worth very much. Um, it's not worth very much in the past because that's not predict. I mean, it's predictive insofar as maybe you can extrapolate right. based on what I've done in the past, what I might buy in the future. But the real value is going to be me promising to you moving forward that I'm going to give exclusive access to my data to you and, and nobody else. Um, and then given compound interest and given the role of AI in 10 or 20 years, that could be worth $1,000 a month. Right. Like that was a thing. Um, yeah. That's kind of as far as I got. And what I realized was, and it kind of led to the, the creation of the white paper that we wrote about data fiduciaries. Um, I think the white paper was um, fiduciary data banking, a market-based alternative yeah. to surveillance capitalism. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, what, what we got to was insofar as your data, insofar as you're promiscuous about your data, mm-hmm. meaning your data is all over the place and all these data brokers have your data, um, it's just not worth very much. It's only when you make your data exclusive and proprietary to yourself and you reduce your footprint and you go from data polygamy to data monogamy, then and only then um, can you get the kind of economic rewards, I think, that that Yang and the Data Dividend Project and others are talking about. Yeah. But, in, but there's a long jump from here to there, right? which is why privacy is so important. Right, because if you don't limit your footprint, you get problems. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think this is this is this is one of the issues. Um, they also have a post up on their blog. I went and looked, and it says, "What is your data worth? Two thousand seventy dollars and fifty cents is a conservative estimate of the lifetime value of a North American Facebook user." The value of one person's data to Facebook, a number that's gone up every year for nine years straight and shows no sign of stopping. And then it goes on to talk about how, like, you pay zero for Facebook and that if you're not the customer, you're the product, which we which we know. Um, but $2,000 over the last nine years isn't actually a – it's not a huge amount of money, right? So this is where I get confused about this movement around – um, seeking sort of personal, individual, or even collective remuneration when I would just rather have decent corporate taxation laws and the remuneration is coming through Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, paying their fair share of taxes so that they then have an educated workforce to come and work for them and a whole society that's high functioning that 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 are are potential consumers of their product as opposed to sort of this 
you know, this feels like a roundabout way to get to a social good outcome to me. And, and I, but it also grabs, it grabs headlines, which is important. And I think may, you know, the, the optimist in me hopes that by popularizing these themes and this theme of universal basic income um, and that your data is property and you've been giving it away and, and, and we're going to give you back power that's been taken from you by these bad, awful, greedy technology companies. Um, politically, that, that may work, right? And, and, and what if Biden wins and appoints Yang um, Secretary of Commerce? Yeah. Right. Or something like that, where maybe it gets some legs and it doesn't happen overnight, but maybe over the next couple years, um, you know, this morphs into something productive. Yeah, I definitely see Andrew Yang having a seat at the cabinet table within a Biden presidency. That that I was thinking about that this week and I was like, that would be really exciting. Like, I think good, significant sort of shifts in our current way that we are engaging with technology and government could come from that. And, and that got me excited about the future in a, in the next administration. And and what about the, this kind of joining of CCPA um, with a data dividend kind of initiative? Does it make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And maybe let's stop and take a moment, just explain a little bit of the history of CCPA. Yeah, so CCPA came about because um, a billionaire, I don't even know his name, I should know more of this, um, got himself enough signatures to have a law very similar to the CCPA that passed, make it on to as a ballot initiative in California. And because of that, the tech companies freaked out, said, we better make our own, we better make a law that addresses these issues that we have some input and control over through the legislative process than a law that's going through the um, the the ballot initiative process because the issue with ballot initiatives is they literally can never be changed unless they are changed by another future ballot initiative. The legislature has no power and they didn't want to have a bill that was sort of frozen um, forever. Uh, The irony is, is that the, the, they have the person who put that forward is unhappy with the CCPA results and there is going to be on the ballot in the November election the the version of the bill that he wanted as a ballot initiative going through. So that's going to be a whole sort of like I I imagine the industry is going to come out with ads that say don't vote for this thing you already have it with CCPA you're fine. Um, what does CCPA mean to individuals? I mean, what, where, where does the rubber hit the road in terms of um, you and I so, is, uh, living in California? 
So my understanding, the big thing it does is it gives me rights to access all the data that any company, not just tech companies, any company has. I um, teach at community college and I'm teaching this summer introduction to computer information systems. And I'm asking all of my students to pick three companies and go and request their data. So we're going to, I'll report back to the podcast once we've done those assignments to see what, what the students discover about themselves in that process. And um, the, the other thing it does is it says you must be able to tell a company that, that you do not want your data sold. And this is to prevent data flowing from companies into data broker markets, which I think is great. Like GDPR, I sort of, it doesn't have that same, well, protects your data in sort of more stringent ways, but this gives you this more granular control around the specific usage that is problematic in sort of feeding these data data markets. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's there's headline risk for the big technology companies to comply with this. You know the um, you know the big data brokers that don't even seem like data brokers, right? Um, you know, commercial databases, um, you know, hotel chains, airlines, um, uh, you know, technology platforms that we know of, et cetera, um, who all um, want to avoid, just like they did with GDPR, they want to avoid, you know, the risks of getting their revenue um, sapped um, by the authorities and the regulators. Well, and but one of the big issues with CCPA is that it applies beyond just technology companies. So it applies to companies where you don't necessarily have a user account with a password protection. And then there are very weak provisions around how they have to do identity proofing to figure out you are indeed that person. So I actually think because um, and Jeremy Grant actually gave a presentation about this at the Identiverse conference a couple of weeks ago, saying like, actually, CCPA could be a privacy disaster because it mandates that companies give data back to people, but it has fairly weak provisions on how they figure out whether you're really you before they share the data. So you could have fraud rings spring up using CCPA to go get access to people's data just mildly terrifying yeah and also are people equipped to manage their own data no right you know once you know you have your students downloading you know everything that these companies know about them where do they put it are they putting on a google drive are they putting it on their own hard drive are they encrypting it um we just don't have the um you know we because of the advent of advertising driven internet and then, you know, all the free apps and all the free services and cloud computing, we've kind of abdicated our ability um, to manage things locally, right? We, we just don't have the, the toolkit intellectually or technically um, to manage our own vault and our own safe, you know, at home. I think the crypto community does because um, they were forced to, right? And the mm-hmm. way that, that Bitcoin is structured, that's why we've seen really interesting advances in terms of um, ledgers and wallets and, and cold storage and, and private keys. Um, I just think this is a, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you know, we talked a little bit in the last episode about some interesting startups 
like jumbo privacy, um, like uh, do not pay, um, and and others that are trying to build tools and services for consumers to kind of celebrate and manage this kind of um, data independence, right? And it's like, okay, great. Now you're liberated. Um, how can you take advantage of that and, and conduct yourself, you know, with your data in a way where you're not reliant on all these data brokers and you're not reliant upon these platforms that treat you like a product, but actually treat you like a customer. And, um, you know, it reminds me of just, I mean, not to stretch here, but, you know, people suddenly getting liberated from prison or, you know, countries suddenly throwing off their, you know, colonial leaders, right? Right. They're not used to the kind of freedom. And um, <laughs> so what's going to happen? You know, we're all going to kind of drink ourselves into a stupor with our yeah. just, just flooding with our own data. With our own data. Well, I mean, this is what the My Data Operator community is all about. I mean, it's much more active in Europe. Um, and it would be really, I mean, it, it, I appreciate what Andrew Yang is doing with this, but it may have been more interesting to say, hey, we're the My Data Operator for California. Um, come here, use our tool to connect to all the companies that you interact with and suck suck your data out of those systems using the rights you have under CCPA and and really give people their data instead of sort of going with the status quo business model and saying, give us some money. So here's the latest in, in uh, CCPA as of today, right? Uh-huh. So California. So according to, let's see here, Silicon Valley Business Journal, the California Attorney General Xavier Becerra's office confirmed to the San Francisco Business Times that it will begin enforcing the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, on July 1st as scheduled. The state law granting California residents greater data privacy rights and wide-reaching control of how companies can use their online personal data went into effect January 1st, but provided a six-month grace period to allow companies time to comply. It's estimated the CCPA applies to more than half a million companies. The first privacy law of its kind in the country is very similar to the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, also known as GDPR. The Attorney General's office says it offers consumers the right to know, the right to delete, and the right to opt out of the sale of personal information that businesses collect, as well as additional protections for minors. Companies in violation can face large financial repercussions. The law provides two methods in which a company can be penalized for noncompliance. One, the attorney general can issue fines of up to $7,500 per violation. Two, a provision in the law allows consumers affected by a data breach to seek up to $750 per user in a class action lawsuit. And I think that's probably... That's going to be killer. That's what the DDP uh, and others, I think, are focused on in terms of recouping you know, uh, money for people. So, but it's only in the case of a data breach. So, quote, if you if you breached a million people's worth of data, that's up to seven hundred and fifty million dollars worth of class action lawsuits on you, said 
Rihan Jalil, CEO and founder of San Jose-based data security startup Security.ai. It's very, very punitive. Otherwise, who would care? Becerra submitted the final draft of the, leg- of the regulation on June 1st, and the California Office of Administrative Law has 30 days to approve it with the option of invoking a 60-day COVID-related extension. Becerra requested an expedited review. There has been some confusion as to whether the AG would be able to enforce the law before it had been approved. Um, if a for-profit business doing business in California satisfies one or more of the following, it will need to make arrangements if it hasn't done so already in order to comply. One, generates more than $25 million in annual revenue. Two, holds the personal information of 50,000 or more people. And three, 50% or more of its revenues comes from selling consumers' personal data. The business does not have to reside or have any employees in California to be held accountable. To comply, a company will need to have what is known as a consent banner on their website. You know, those annoying pop-up boxes. Yeah. To notify consumers their data is going to be collected and include an option to opt out. In addition, a company will need to create processes for consumers to request all the data a company has collected on them and ways for deleting all the data if that's what the consumer wants. Um, okay. The least a company can do is to include a notice on the website and means by which a consumer can request data. Actually, fulfilling the request is going to be much harder. That's why there's a lot of these startups that are popping up. Um, what else here? In a few years from now, basically every company in the world is going to have to comply with a whole range of privacy laws said Mark Kahn, general counsel and VP at Segment, a San Francisco customer data platform. Kahn said, India and Brazil are rolling privacy laws out now and more countries will do the same. And while the privacy laws will be similar to CCPA or GDPR, the nuances will make complying challenging for multinational corporations. The class action lawsuits related to CCPA have already begun including ones against Ring, the video doorbell company, Zoom, and Salesforce. Ooh. Got a lot going on today. We didn't think we'd have much to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) The lawsuits have already started. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, I wonder what... um, you know, there was a lot of talk about CCPA at the end of, you know, in December, kind of leading up to January. I was very focused on it for Spartacus, thinking that, you know, this is great because this um, will drive this mission of people wanting to protect themselves and minimize their footprint and empowering consumers to take back control of their privacy. Um, you know, January 1st came and went, not much changed. Um, maybe there's more teeth now that this is happening. I, I'm kind of curious whether... Um, this pandemic that we're living through is going to accelerate or decelerate um, some of these movements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the bull case would be, well, people are at home. Um, they're doing more and more online. Um, they're more and more focused on getting more from less. Um, yes. There's less opportunities for new income. There's less opportunities for side hustles and new gigs. So I think, and we're, you know, we're, we're struggling socially, economically, culturally as a country. There's a big election coming. Um, granted, Andrew Yang lost. 
um, early, but I think this part of his message resonates. I think that it will be taken up by the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, in different shapes and forms, because I think, um, you know, the big tech companies are, are, are pretty easy punching bags, right? And this idea that they've made all this money over the years um, extracting value from consumers is um, a convenient political maneuver um, to engender support among the disenfranchised. Yeah. The, 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 the bearish cases, um, you know, these tweets come and go, you know, the numbers aren't going to add up to much, you know, as much as we think about class action lawsuits to, um, to recover all these, you know, damages, the reality is there's going to be tons of lawyers on the other side of that tampering things down. Um, you know, I think if we could see our, our, our ways to each of us in California, um, seeing another thousand dollars a year of stimulus from our data, that would be great. I'm just somewhat dubious. Yeah, I don't. I don't think our data is worth a thousand dollars a year. But um... well, I'll tell you how it is. I mean, our data. So jumping forward, I mean, if if you or I um, went through the process of of systematically deleting ourselves from the internet, right? Going through and deleting ourselves from data brokers. And you can do that with Spartacus among other services. Um, but really being mindful about cleaning up your footprints um, and not using, you know, Google and not using Facebook um, and using, you know, DuckDuckGo for search and using ProtonMail for email and using, um, for example, using um, you know, a password manager and using um, anonymous um, telephone numbers, you know, one-time telephone numbers and one-time credit card numbers so that really nobody had access to your information. Um, then and only then, if you provided access to your intention stream in terms of when you were looking to buy a house or 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 get a new mortgage or when you're looking to buy a car or uh, any kind of big insurance purchase or health insurance um and if you offered that data that was unique and no one else had access to it right then you're worth a lot of money i mean it depends where you are economically you know right but chain. if you're the 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 value of the the lead of a of a intention, especially around large purchases and life changes, is huge. Sure. Whereas, so you can like, make, well, that's what I'm saying. I think your your, your historical data is not worth very much, right? Because so many people have access to it. But if there was a way moving forward that your data was scarce and you weren't getting retargeted and you weren't sprinkling your cookies or your cookies weren't getting sprinkled all over the place. Um, well, yeah. And it's this, this, that's where the stalking on the internet comes from. Like I put my information in a form to learn about health insurance options once. And then I think I still get phone calls from people trying to sell me health insurance. I'm like, I bought the insurance, go away. Right. Like, that drives people crazy. And we don't have, I mean, this is one of the visions that VRM had in terms of building markets where people had the tools to manage their relationships with vendors, including their future intentions. 
Um, so maybe interesting to have Doc Searles come on sometime and talk about that movement. But this also echoes back to where I first met you, which was working on a tension trust, right? Sure. Yeah. That goes 2005. Yeah. When we were, when we were trying to help people um, kind of cordon off their click stream, right? That, that every, every click that we generate, um, that we should have a, a copy of that. Um, and we should be able to trade that and and exchange that with others under our own control. But we abdicated responsibility for our own click streams because we were getting so much value, near-term value in exchange for it. Yeah. Um, and I, unfortunately, we've kind of run into this. I, I guess it's a kind of, um, I'm not an economist, but a, a kind of data inflation, mm. right? Where, again, because our data is all over the place, it's just not worth very much, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to restrict the supply of our own data to make it more scarce and make it more valuable. And then and only then will we be able to achieve the kinds of dividends that I think, you know, Yang and others are proposing. It sounds like the type of question we should um, save up and ask Glenn Weil when we have him on, uh, given he's the economist who's (laughs) been thinking about these data union type issues. And we actually worked on a, we worked together last summer now um, with him and some other folks on this vision of, of data unions being able to negotiate on behalf of folks um, and even some model legislation was written up. That would be great. I think we should get Glenn on. I think we should also um, maybe reach out the next couple of days to the data dividend project and see if we can't get them on. Yeah. You want to with that? Okay. Yeah. Let's get the data dividend project on. Well, there's also the data union folks. So, mm-hmm. and they're connected. Like I know that James Felton Keith. So if you go the dataunion.org, James Felton Keith um, just um, did an attempted run for Congress as a progressive in New York um, and suspended his campaign because of COVID. He couldn't get in front of enough voters, unfortunately. Um, but he he's been advocating for the dating union for a long time so, as idea as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let's get them involved. Let's, yeah, let's get them involved. Okay, cool. Well, I think that was a good session. Good session. Until next week. Until I'm Seth. next week. I'm Kalia at Identity Woman. Oh, and the other big news, I think, since, sorry, this should have been at the top of the show. My book came out. Oh, good. What's the um, link? So it's on Amazon. You can buy it. It's the Domains of Identity, uh, a framework for understanding identity systems and contemporary understanding. So go to the Amazon. Domains of Identity. 